Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm Ron Swallow. And I am producer Bill. And today is our 100th episode. Whew. Yeah, 100 episodes of The Greatest Pod. And we decided we wanted to do something a little bit different to celebrate this 100th episode and really kind of delve deeper into the things we talk about. So we decided to talk about, as you know by the title, the greatest redefinition of nerd culture. Uh, that basically meaning like, where is nerd culture going from here on out? And is there even nerd culture anymore? Really? Mm -hmm. That's the question that I think is going to be the most interesting discussion because, frankly, we're past time for the culture at large to redefine what, like, the nerd subculture even is. And we might even make the point that it no longer exists in any appreciable way. So that's that's what got me amped about this conversation. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's definitely something that popped into my head because, you know, literally I was bullied for reading comic books as a kid. Sure. And that does that is highly unlikely to happen right now is my guess. I'm not well, a kid, but that's my guess. Well, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I also think we need to dive in head first and get the algorithm going. Mm -hmm. I'm the biggest Star Wars nerd. Now, look, <laughs> now look no, you, you all know me. I'm the dude who said, and I quote, Star Wars is the most hack fandom of all time. I mm -hmm. said that said it with my chest. Uh, and I believe it. However, it's weirdly generational because there are gray bearded fuckers who, when they were kids from 1983 to 1999, they just kept the faith. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and I'm talking about before the cartoons, even at 83 up to those goofy ass cartoons before that, they're just reading Timothy Zahn books looking at, you know, uh, Dan Wolverton jams, uh, uh, Vonda McIntyre reading Trusa Bakura, that story I keep talking about where you know, it's about uh, Luke with lightning burns. His his adventure happens. He's still got lightning burns from, from the third Star Wars movie. And they want to say some story about what happened right after that. Those dudes kept the faith. They kept the fire lit. So well, they could say that they're nerds, but these new kids, how could you say you're a nerd? It was intravenously dumped into you. Well, that's the thing that I think really makes this an interesting discussion is this isn't about how fans or fandoms have changed. It's really about how the entire media landscape has changed. Mm -hmm. Because back yep. in the days you're talking about, Ed, like Star Wars was a worldwide phenomenon that everybody was into at the time. So this whole idea that, you know, nerd culture doesn't exist anymore because these things have gone mainstream. If that was the case, nerd culture would have died in the seventies with, you know, the likes of star Wars, star Trek, the movie, Superman, the movie, because those were huge seminal events in pop culture. But the, the real thing that didn't happen was this concentrated multimedia blitz where when something takes off, you continue to milk every dollar and every storytelling bite out of it for decades afterward. And I think that's a great call, Ed, that like the Star Wars trilogy happened and for, for all anybody knew, they could just move on with their lives. And so it, the nerd subculture was always those people. And whether it was Star Wars or whether it was black and white zines, 
it was always those people that hung on to these relics that culture itself has declared either passe or not worthy and made that a core part of what they were into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting because sci-fi has always been part of mainstream culture, but reading sci-fi probably hadn't been, you know, is reading lame by the way, guys anymore. Very, very. Is it, is it still lame to read? I don't, I'm not even being facetious. No, it, it, it very much is. Okay, so so at least so Mike, but then my question becomes: Is the true nerd culture people who read books now? Maybe, but you know what the problem with that is: is people who read books are so lame. And like, this is not directed at you at all, Ron. But like, <laughs> this is this is one hundred percent my honest opinion. Like, the subculture of people who read books is so lame that nobody will ever want to be identified with them ever. You Except know what I mean? Me. Well, but but except for the people that are already in it, which yeah. is a great definition of kind of what nerd culture was up until about circa 2010. Because because nerd culture has become pop culture mm-hmm. it is a lot of these things like, oh, you want to make your argument about Star Wars, Ed? Like I like Jeff May, our, our, a friend of the pod, has made the argument that Star Wars was never nerd culture because mm-hmm. – it was the best-selling movie of all time at the time that it came out. Pretty much, right. it redefined the blockbuster. It like kind of created the blockbuster, if I understand correctly. So, how can the thing that created the blockbuster become what nerd culture is supposed to be? Is the fringes of society basically? You like the thing that other people don't like, or is that not the case anymore? Well, but like we were saying earlier, you, with the people who who. There, everybody got on board, and then ninety four percent of people got off board. Disappeared. Right? That six percent of people who were just like, "What happened to Luke right after the third movie? What did they have kids? Does, did does Luke ever get laid? What the six, fuck?" Six percent of people were like, "I really fucks with that. I care about that." And they were nerds. That's what made them a nerd because everybody wasn't doing that. You had the lunchbox, and you threw that motherfucker where the lunchboxes go when you start carrying a backpack and being a big boy. But some people were just like, nope, I love this lunchbox and it's revered on my wall. Right, That's nerd. you know. Well, let me just point out that I think nerd culture and pop culture have always had this tenuous handshake. Because even when you look at comic books, right, like comic books were the most popular medium in the country for about three years from yeah. like 1939 to 1942. You know what I mean? And then they started going off a cliff. But it's like what we think of as being sort of this nerd subculture, because it was through all of our adult life or all of our lives period, it used to be the definition of pop culture for that short period of time in the same way that star Wars was. And I think the thing to understand is that when the blockbuster fades, there is a segment of people that hang on to any scraps of that thing while the majority of people just move on to new ventures. And that's where Mm. I think that nerd culture has a huge overlap with the Venn diagram of world building, which is sort of a weird thing to say. Like, and, and this is where I think maybe the rubber meets the road with the past 10 years or so. For the longest time, and this is also, this also goes back to what you said about reading, Ron. Like, the majority of people in, the majority of the audience for the mass media did not want to invest in world building. 
people were people were out for instant gratification, one-off experiences, things that they could go and forget their troubles for a couple hours and then go on with their lives. And the nerds were the people that wanted to integrate facts and history and ancillary materials into their appreciation of that thing. But now with the mainstreaming of the MCU and the fact that Disney has created, you know, products for ages two to 92, it's almost become mainstream to be invested in the world building, invested in that larger story, in the, you know, the specific niches and and cracks in between the pavement of this story world. And to me, I think that's a lot where the definition of nerd culture starts getting lost because it's like the minutia was always the the home world of the nerds. But now the minutia has kind of gone mainstream. Yeah, well, that, that's why they get you, you know, all of these. <laughs> and it, it's funny, I would, the, but the term that came to my mind when we were first talking about this is niching down. When people mm. tell you to do stuff with your YouTube channel or whatever, you know, and they say this, they say that. They go, okay, niche down, become the podcast that talks about the last 10 minutes of the movie Heat. That's Mm. the best way to become big is to go so small and so direct that you take over a whole market and then maybe expand from there, which is so weird. But it's it's also how we're doing with all of this. Like they got lightsaber nerds. They really want to mess with kyber crystals and put them together and stuff. So there's a whole market aftermarket of people putting together different types of lightsabers, people doing different stuff with that whole subculture that's probably pretty nerdy and pretty cool, but it is just marketing. You're not grabbing a pipe and making this, you know what I'm saying? That's why I kind of love cosplayers, honestly. They participate in the world building and they spend money. And sometimes they spend money buying costumes, but I just think the ones that, I think all that's great, but the people who make their costumes, they love it and want to embody it. And that's what makes them nerds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's yeah. interesting, too, because there was a period of time where I felt like cosplay was going mainstream. And now I feel like it's back to being a niche. But I, I don't know. It was maybe around just to throw a random date on it. I think it was like around 2013, 14, 15. Like there was a period of time when, you know, Sci-Fi Channel had on like these makeup competitions and, and costume competitions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of fashion was colliding with, like, the DIY movement Mm -hmm. on the Internet. And, like, suddenly, like, cosplay, um, like, the cosplay pageant, uh, for lack of a better word, at at Comic-Con became, like, this huge thing that was being covered in the media. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason that just kind of faded. Like, that was no longer just a huge talking point after a little while. Yeah, they all went on to OnlyFans. (laughs) but you know what so that's super interesting though i I mean mean, to be honest i think it was a great idea if i was and by the way there's dudes on OnlyFans who are dressed as anime characters doing great just to be clear there are women as well but there are also dudes on there obviously there's more women making money because titties sell better than abs i'm sorry guys that's just a fact Mm. but absolutely there are people who are making money on OnlyFans being cosplayers, playing video games, you know, uh, streaming with a bikini on, like, you know. I, you know, this is a weird thought that I'm having in real time. What if the new nerd culture is essentially like fetish culture? 
You know what I mean? Like the, mm. the what's the one thing left that we don't really talk about in the mainstream, but there is like that super dedicated niche that like defines their identity with it. And whether it's people who are really into shipping or whether it's people, I, I'm not so much, I guess, talking about like, you know, subs and doms and people who are into that sort of thing. But like, but even furries, I think, right. It, That's what I was going to say. Fur- yeah. Furries to me was them was, was a group of people being like, look, this shit really turns us on and it is really awesome. And if you can't deal with it, well, I'm eight feet tall with my from from head to tip. Fuck with me if you want to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and furries and seem you so don't huge. know <laughs> and you don't know who I am in this. Right. Yeah. yeah, dude. Dude, it's like seeing a clown at midnight, dog. I mean, it's just it's too, <laughs> it's so uncanny, you know? So so dude, trust me, I, I wouldn't fuck with a furry. Uh and I'm cool with people just doing whatever they want to do on top of right. that. And, right. and I have friends who cosplay as couples. There'll be some some couple from an anime and they'll they'll cosplay as that and and have a great time and they embody the thing and they do sort of it's almost like they're acting while they're doing it, you know. Well, I, um, and, the, and the one thing I, I know that nerds, I know that there's so many fit nerds. But it is one of the things that keeps it from crossing over to all the way because, yep. like, the people who do it for the fitness part, not the I, I want to be any size storm I want. I'm not talking about that or denigrating that on any level. I'm talking about the yep. person who's like tries to keep themselves with like 8% body fat all year round so they can play rogue and get money across the nation. You know yep. what I'm saying? Like, that person, it's so hard. And I think that kind of it, 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 it was a line of demarcation between the professional. And the hobbyist that was yeah. so stark that it just knocked down a bunch of pretenders. And yeah, I think you're right. A lot of people got on the internet and were just like, there are so many niches on the internet. You could be whatever you want to be in whatever space you want to you want to have it. I think that's interesting about we're talking about almost like the decentralization of nerd culture as well. Yeah. There aren't these central places to go get it anymore. It's you know vast. I mean? Well, and let me tell you a uh, great burn that I got uh like I, there was a guy who was uh, doing Rocky. Uh, he had the the the. He was the, cosplaying Rocky. Yeah, and he was ripped, and okay. he looked like Rocky. And I was just like, "How did you do that, dude?" And he was like, "I worked out." Like, okay, bro, <laughs> thank you. He and well, he was sounded mad that I asked him that too. By the way, he was very <laughs> upset because it was like clearly I work out, and also. Uh, I think you're judging me for working out and I don't like it. Like, and I was, and I was absolutely no, no, I wasn't. But, but you know, I could see that in the nerd culture. Like sometimes people be like, all right, bro, you just did a bunch of sit-ups and put on flag shorts and boxing gloves. Okay. We are see what you're doing here. But at the same time, I respect all that. And he did work hard for the thing. He also had some black eye makeup, which he did a good job on, I want to say. You know, it's it's yeah. See, it's, he wanted you to compliment his black eye makeup. It's like, how did you make yourself look beat up? Instead, you go like, "Oh, it looks like you have a lot of free time." That's what you did. To, <laughs> that's what you did. To. Or, or yeah, you're, you're right. like, "Hey, man, where do you get your steroids?" Like that's what yeah. I thought you were asking. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, you on trend? You on yeah. trend, bro? <laughs> you on gear, bro? Um, I mean, I don't know what you guys just said. <laughs> that's that's yeah. steroids oh. what i think is interesting about this conversation though is like 
it, it almost places nerd culture into an experiential place, right? Like in a world where the vast majority of like the movie going public is now invested in like tracking this multi-level story about superheroes across multiple forms of media, which used to just be, you know, the niche of the, of the comic book nerd nerddom kind of moves over to like, all right, maybe we don't care as much about the facts and the figures and who knows what about what story. Maybe we care about the people who can, who can live their truth. I, you know, I, I don't know enough about the cosplay subculture to really speak on it, but it, it feels categorically different than even like the traditional definition of what we would think of as nerds. Yeah. And LARPing, mm. you guys know about LARPing, right? Mm. Yeah. Seeing that. Yeah. The extra level, right? Cause I have, I definitely have seen the, the, the levels of anime nerds, like the anime nerds who love anime a lot and will go to a convention but then they'll be like if a regular anime nerd rolled up to them looking like they were at a convention, but it was just supposed to be regular. Right. And they saw that same person acting exactly as they act, but in the wrong milieu. That person's a nerd. I've, I've definitely seen uh, videos of people decrying other nerds, like trying to find the strata. Where is it appropriate to act like a total nerd and Naruto run up to a chick and start talking to her at McDonald's? You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's yeah. these levels to the shit. You know, maybe if your abs are dope enough, you could pull that shit off, but most of the time not. Uh, oops. I mean, I, confidence, <laughs> confidence will go get you a long way, though. Like I Naruto, I Naruto run down every staircase. <laughs> Didn't know, don't know if I needed to know that about you, right? Yeah, it's a good balance, actually. Even when you have your arms down and back, it works pretty well for the balance. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, yeah, I like I like to parkour across everything, but meaning I uh, fall down every staircase and I just roll <laughs> across every ramp. Um, now I'm just thinking of Ed doing the Peter Griffin fall down a staircase, uh, just uh, like really uh, aggressively. Uh, oh, God. Dude, I, I fight the chicken all the way down. <laughs> but like, I, I'll, the thing about okay, we are talking about the redefinition of nerd culture. We have sort of mm. started to broach the subject of okay, this is where. It starts to be like marketing, like it, it. This comic book, even like when we look at the comic book industry, it hasn't grown as much, yeah. and we've kind of talked about that subject on other podcasts. But it's like I think we, we had it. We hit it on the nail on the head when Ron was talking earlier about books. Even reading a comic book is too much for these people. Like straight up, it's not. It's not. If the if you knew how many more adventures with these characters you could be reading. Yep. It would seem like that would just titillate them so to no end. Mm. But the act of opening it up and interpreting a picture and a word balloon and then doing it again and again and again and again for, for 22 pages, it's all too much for them. A comic well, book. Well, we, we you remember when we did um, when we were looking at how comic books were were doing they're, they're They had the best year that they had ever had in 2020 and 21. Now, that was the pandemic. So part of me is like, okay, well, people were at home and just needed stuff to do. So I would be curious to see by, you know, two and 2025, what happens in the next couple of years af after that? Like maybe it goes back down again. Yeah, but, but it, well, that also encompassed other comics besides the big two. Like people, yes. I think people put the work in to read anything else. There are people who won't read a Marvel comic that'll read 57,000 damn pages of manga, but yep. they don't want to read no more Iron Man stories. Right. And that was also looking, I mean, it was, it was the best year just in terms of dollars. Right. And 
that was at a time when inflation was starting to take off. True. And as, as we talked about at the time, back in the days when Jim Lee was selling millions of copies of X-Men, the only comics anybody was really buying were the monthly floppies. And they cost, you know, a dollar to a dollar fifty a pop. Now, monthly comics cost four to five dollars. And the majority of buying goes toward collected editions anyway, which are running, you know, 20 to 30 or more dollars, mm -hmm. depending on if they're hardcover, limited edition, whatever the fuck. So the fact that the bookstore market has taken off, collected editions have taken off in general, um, and even the monthly comics have ballooned in price. Again, I don't know that units shipped 20 and 21 would have been the best year yeah. ever. It's just the dollars. You know yeah, there I mean? was a good amount of, of uh, TP, TPBs as well. But it, it is one of those questions is like, is that stuff still going to be the niche? When if if in 10 years from now, Marvel puts out its last fifth, sixth phase of Marvel or whatever, and nobody really start, is going and it kind of fizzles out and we go back to, you know, Bloodsport. <laughs> <laughs> what uh will people you know will it still be just like ed said where star wars those 15 years you know, you know they'll just be a, the six percent of the population goes back to reading comics and it's back to being nerdy again or will it be something else that's what's curious that's what's interesting to me honestly yeah i'm not sure and and i think the other x factor in that is like What's going to happen to DC and Marvel as publishing companies if and when the movies start to fail? Because yeah. right now, like both of those companies, it's not that they're they're not operating at a loss, but as parts of these bigger multinational conglomerates, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery and, and Disney, uh, respectively, like they're not moving a huge needle. Like neither one of those companies need to be publishing comic books, but one of the the big reasons why they continue to is because it is such a lucrative IP farm for their mm -hmm. other media. So if that other media is no longer bringing in the dollars that they want or need, I don't know what happens to those comics, which then broaches the question of like, let's let's think of a world where Marvel and DC have gone away completely. I'm curious how many of the quote unquote nerds who would be reading the comic books anyway would actually stick around for a world of creator owned image books and dark horse books and things like that. Or are they really just nerds for the Fantastic Four, Batman, Wolverine, whatever? Yeah. Or like like the legacy. I think okay, I think this is this is gonna be interesting. We should talk about some of the different sorts of nerds. Not trying to be categorization, but like legacy nerds are big are big nerds. Legacy mm -hmm. nerds are a big batch of nerds. My grandpappy liked Captain America, and I like Captain America. I actually, you know, I like uh, Wolverine more, but uh, I tell my pappy I like Captain America best. <laughs> that that shit. There's a bunch of those, and a bunch of those people are like super fucking mad that their kids don't have the same exact comics drawn by John Buscema <laughs> that right. they grew up with. That's kind of a weird section of nerds in its, of itself. No, I, I agree with that. And I think about, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but like I've bought my niece, who's just kind of getting to a strong reading age, some some graphic, young readers graphic novels, but it's not like they're, you know, Fantastic Four. It's like Babysitter's Club and things that have nothing to do with Marvel or DC leg legacy media. And she really enjoyed it. I'm not going to get butthurt if she doesn't want to read Spider-Man 
You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't care, but I agree with you, Ed. There are people out there that think that's a problem. And I just don't grok that mentality. Like, I'm just at a point now where if Marvel and DC disappeared, I, you know, there were, there'd be some tears to be shed, but like, it's no big loss because the art form would live on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last comics I bought were are right here. Uh, I bought them at Emerald Knights. Nice. Put them up to the thing. Oh, that's supposed to be really good, that 8 Billion Genies. Yeah, I just started reading it, and it is super fascinating. The world has hit 8 billion people, and then everybody gets their own genie when the world hits the population of 8 billion. Mm. And then some guy makes a a wish that nobody else's nobody's wishes could affect anybody else's lives. And that changes the whole vibe of the thing. Cause at first people are wishing for a lot of stuff that is not great for other sure. people. Sure. And then now everybody has to try to figure out wishes that uh, help them out, but don't harm other people. It's, it's pretty fascinating. And there's obviously more drama and stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But, and it's well-drawn and it's super interesting and I would love, I love comics and I would love for them to go that way. Just people coming up with interesting stories and concepts and being like, here's my interesting concept. I turned it into a comic book. It's, you know, I think in a lot of ways, just listening to you talk and thinking about this, Marvel and DC kind of hold comics back in a way because mm -hmm. like comics should really be this interesting middle ground between like literature and magazines. Right. It, 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 and it should be sort of like an arty, snobby subculture in a way, um, not to not to shit on the fact that comics have always been part of the low culture. I think that's part of the the appeal as well. But like if comics are going to be a niche and they have been ever since, well, maybe since the 60s, because they did surge again once Marvel really got its act together. But comics have been a niche since the 60s. And like if they are going to be a niche, it would be better if they were more of an art and literary niche as opposed to like a costume muscle men and sexy women niche. But I, again, I don't know if that's separable now. I, I just don't. Well, okay. That, that gets to a big point that I wanted to talk about because, okay. Like between the times that you're talking about where every working man had a comic book in his pocket, then there's like 20 years where that is definitely not the case. And we get into like what the fifties around there or leasing on into the sixties. And that's the big, uh, you know, uh, congressional hearings. It's poisoned in the minds of the youth. You can't put crime. EC comics is punished classically because they're the biggest publisher. But I also looked at a, a big book, uh, of Jack Kirby's works before Marvel Mm. And uh, there's a monster section of it. And it's just like every week there'd be four or five, eight page stories in this magazine. And he would do like three or four of them or whatever. And every week there was these new characters and a new monster and some kind of O. Henry twist at the end. And it was just like this idea factory of such magnitude. And then we get stuck with what's Captain America doing this week? Oh, Spider-Man <laughs> swung by the window. Right. Each one of but, these issues had four Jack uh, John Carpenter's The Thing in them, or four Indiana Joneses, or an Indiana Jones, a John Carpenter's The Thing, an Alien, and uh, fuck it, Aliens in one little and, magazine, you know? Mm -hmm. And each of them were complete stories, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the ones that weren't were like, whoa, 
this is crazy. We're going to give this guy another shot to wow us. It was like wrestling or something. These, you know, these books would come out and just demand another chapter. But it was rare, you know. Well, and I assume that once those started being like that, when people were like, I need another chapter of this, that's when people's brains went, oh, if people need another chapter of something, what could we do if we got characters who needed extra chapters and then interconnected with each other on top of that? And so in order for Cap to get what's going on with Captain America, you got to read the Spider-Man. And But wait. You can't just read that Spider-Man. Now you got to read where these Spider-Man came from to mm-hmm. get up to the part, well, you know. I mean, that's really Stan Lee's great invention is, yeah. is mm-hmm. that level of interconnectedness between the different titles in, in the Marvel stable. Yeah, dangerous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. I I don't I mean, think that's necessarily – yeah, that's the thing. Like I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It definitely was, was a huge paradigm shift. I mm-hmm. think – Theoretically, in a in a healthy market, there'd be room for any version, right? There there'd be room for anthologies of eight to ten page stories. There'd be room for big ass novelistic adventures in the vein of like Walking Dead or Invincible. There'd be room for you know miniseries and original graphic novels. Like all that should exist. I think for me, it's it's just trying to pinpoint like what. Who who were the nerds in any era previous to this? And who are the nerds now? And who will the nerds be? And, and the only reason I think that that's the salient question is like, if this stuff that we're talking about goes back to being quote unquote nerd culture and not the greater pop culture, like that's going to be such a huge redefinition of like, Television, movies, comics, you know, to a certain extent, even like novels. There's just been such a mainstreaming of the superhero aesthetic, the superhero story type, just the sort of like arch characters and good versus evil and focus on action. I mean, it bleeds over into things like Fast and the Furious, which have essentially become superhero movies without costumes. It's like that is so ubiquitous across pop culture if and when it falls out of favor I'm just curious, like, what the landscape ends up looking like across all of culture, you know? Or maybe well, it doesn't yeah. fall out of culture completely. Maybe it gets down to the 30% or 40%, you know, and then I think the something question else pops like, up. Yeah, the question becomes, like, what's it replaced with? Yeah. And, and maybe it's not any one thing. But, like, even the, even the, the crack about OnlyFans and, and, you know, all joking aside, like, there's something to be said for people who are willing to put their money into consuming content by subscribing to an OnlyFans. And, and that's significant because as much as they might do both, the money that they're putting into OnlyFans could go toward movie tickets or comic book subscriptions or you know streaming service subscriptions or whatever. And it's not just about where the money's going, but the, where the money's going is an indicator of where the eyeballs are going, which is where the brains are going. So yeah. it's like, you know, I I just well, think it's such an interesting question. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, look, if we're going to be real, it's a world I'm not in. But TikTok has 120 million daily users that are consistent. Yeah, and- which is which is also uh, here's here's my only thing I'll say about that. That is tiny compared to Facebook at its at its height. 
And yeah. now Facebook is so passe that the company may as well be imploding. Yeah. Well, and it is slowly imploding. It's doing, it keeps staying alive, but it is slowly imploding. The other thing is, I mean, YouTube is interesting too. Like, I mean, mm. it's, there's things that we kind of sort of halfway missed because we were busy being into the things we were into. And a lot of like people are making full time. Our buddy, uh, uh, Rich Slayton, he has made a living from his YouTube channel and announcing for a game that he loves to play. And he's now making a great living doing that. And, you know, I play this game, Raid Shadow Legends. I watch these, I watch these like five or six dudes videos every single day, pretty much, which is ridiculous and well, uber nerdy. And, but, but maybe that's where it's going to. But what I think is, is interesting about that, Ron, like you might think it's uber nerdy, but that entire collection of subcultures has sort of hopscotched over being embarrassed about their subculture. A hundred percent. There's nothing like, oh, I, I'm not going to really talk about this, about either being on YouTube or about watching YouTube. Like yeah. that in and of itself is just kind of mainstream. Yeah. Right. That's, well, because it's born in the internet, though. Like if people, if, if YouTube was a TV show where people sent in tapes and if mm. your tape was selected, everybody got to see it. And sometimes they would ridicule the shit out of you and the whole world got to see you be ridiculed. Maybe a whole different thing, mm. but the but these type of shit is born in the internet age where everybody's trying everything, and nothing is permanent. You know, it, it or it, it seems like we grew up, and it seemed like the internet was permanent. These kids grow up with a with a fearlessness and a, and an experimentation, and you know they get an F on a test. Here come a crying ass TikTok about it. I would be mortified. I jump out a window if my friends ever saw me crying over some bullshit at school. But mm. these little fucking losers, boy, the likes, <laughs> the likes. The likes supersede any concept of shame that they have. Matter of fact, they've been taught that shame is bad. Anybody make you feel ashamed is a piece of shit, which is true 86% of the time. But that, <laughs> that 14 is strong as fuck, bro. <laughs> Keep your fucking yeah. tears to yourself about shit oh, like that. About okay. shit like that. No, but, but so so this is an interesting tangent. Like within that idea of the things I do online, I should not be ashamed of. Maybe the real nerd subculture are the people who are into um, essentially like tech bro utopianism. Oh, are interesting. You, are you guys aware of Decentraland? Oh, boy. Kick it for the people in the back. Yeah. So, so Decentraland is essentially like metaverse version one. It promised to be, right, everything that like Ready Player One would have you believe the metaverse could be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a group of like 40, 50,000 people who were early adopters. And this thing is, I think, still online, but it, it essentially just balled up into one thing, like virtual reality existence with um, sort of libertarian internet commerce um, with some of the trappings of a social network. And so within the limitations of current technology, your avatar could wander around a graphicized version of the Internet and go and like buy land, which is essentially, you know, just visual space in Decentraland and self. It's essentially like turning the Amazon storefront 
into an interactive virtual reality storefront. And it absolutely did not take off at all, even though they were very early in on trying to like make Bitcoin the currency of Decentraland. There's a, there's a bunch of, of articles and YouTube videos that have been written about this if you want to learn more. But the point being that like there's this hardcore dedicated subset of people who are still there and trying to keep it alive, despite all evidence that it is a huge fucking failure, that are just believing, no, we're a few breakthroughs away from living in Ready Player One where our entire interface with the internet becomes I'm a video game character running around an actual virtual world like Wreck-It Ralph or, you know, Ready Player One. <laughs> and can, like, can I, can yeah, I just say, by the way, that when you watch the movie Ready Player One or you've read the book, their reality is a fucking nightmare. Right. They live in trailers on top of trailers in, in, that are boxes that they live in, and they can barely afford that. It, it's it's a nightmare, and I I think people forget that part. Like, yeah, I guess you're got something going on in the virtual world, but you're a giant <laughs> loser <laughs> otherwise, and your life is a, like a, a corporate nightmare. But that is why I'm calling these people the new nerd subculture because. They are essentially clinging on to this idea that if I if I invest not even monetarily, but if I invest enough of myself into this belief that this thing is going to deliver me a whole new life, like somehow I'm going to avoid all of those obvious pitfalls that even the movies that it's based on are, are telling you are there. And so it's like this weird combination of blind faith and abject corporatism. Like, I just have mm -hmm. to believe that the corporations and it's, you know, they would say that they're anti-corporate because they're all about free. You know, it's very techno libertarian. But I don't know, man. It's it's just this idea that, like, you're so invested in something that the wider culture has so completely either ignored or written off. Right. Like, mm -hmm. those are the people that I see in the modern milieu that are doing the thing that, like people reading star Wars novels in 1988 were, are doing. Well, yeah. I mean, but, but that was always what it was about. Like the people who go, I don't get how people who read comics or were smart or watched star Trek or whatever would ever be crypto bros. Mm. I certainly understand that because I like those things and the values that they instilled in me made me not be able to fall for crypto bro stuff. Mm -hmm. But it is that like, what it what was what was I'll speak for myself. What was my stock and trade as a young kid? Knowledge of fake dudes and their abilities and shit that I could regale people with. I'd say something funny about it. I knew something. Somebody be like, "Who was that dude who drew that?" And I would know it or whatever. My stock and trade, my thing that I traded capably, was information about fake bullshit. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? It's always been like an intrinsic value system, and you just get where your currency is accepted. Right. And those Bitcoin dudes are the same way down to the T. And, and let me build on that. Think about. So I came into like the comic book subculture on the tail end of the big boom. But essentially, those people who were all in on comics through the 80s into the early 90s ended up recreating the media landscape. 
It's people like J.J. Abrams and Taika Waititi and James Gunn, who are now the most powerful people in, in Hollywood, that were nerds at a time when, you know, comics was still a nerd subculture. And so in a lot of ways, like, there is precedent for like, no, if you are the person that can just rise to the top amidst this subculture, eventually you you might be proven right. You know what I mean? Like as you're sitting there and you're, you know, if you're if, if you're 13 years old in 1986 and Watchmen and the Dark Knight Returns have just blown your mind and you have a vision for how like if we could just take this and show it to hundreds of millions of people, it'll change their fucking lives. 20, 30 years down the road, you actually do that. And it does. You know what I mean? What's a, what's interesting to me is like what's coming to my brain is if something fuels creativity and then you gain power from that creativity to, from the thing that fueled you, then that becomes the, the, the modern culture. So what is the thing that's going to fuel creativity? So like no offense, like Okay, so one of my problems with uh, using those tech bros living in what was it called? Decentraland. Decentraland is that's a that's a very that's a, an old school and my old school uh, version of nerds, like just clinging on to some shit that nobody gives a fuck about, and not wanting to learn social skills or how to talk to a girl. You know what I mean? Like, but, but hold on, like I would just argue that those were the people who were working on the internet in the seventies. Again. Yes. Right. hundred percent. But things fueled their creativity to do that. And that's, what's interesting to me is people getting f- what fuels creativity. Right. Now, so, so it's what I'm saying. I My idea is that who's the next James Gunn in 20 years and what is fueling their creativity right now? Is it James Gunn? Because it's probably not. And he's well, dropping. Oh, he's thinking about needle dropping some dope ass, uh, really classic 2019 Doja Cat songs onto <laughs> well, some space yes. battle in the future. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. but I mean, my mind then goes to video games because if you think about, okay. like, you know, what is it that kids for the past 10 years have been super invested in and are having those conversations like, man, if we could just fucking show this to people. It would blow their minds is video games like Last of Us. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, we're we're kind of going to get into a trial by fire here. You know, Last of Us was big. Um, the Sonic movies were big. Super, super Mario, Mario Brothers, Bro. Super Mario Brothers movie opened huge. Like, and there are a ton more video game adaptations in the pipeline. And so that's sort of an open question. But like, that is almost yoked to the superhero boom, right? Because the superhero boom is still going on as well. And they're, they really play to a lot of the same sensibilities, like fantastic worlds, fantastic powers, action first, very like big archetypal stories, blah, blah, blah. I, the question becomes like, what is tickling the imagination of elementary school kids right now? And the thing that worries me is that companies have become so good at exploiting whatever properties they already own that there's not space for 
just janky ass bullshit that was cobbled together like He-Man or Thundercats to exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. now it's just all, hey, we've got a version of Spider-Man for every age. We're going to start you on Spider-Babies and then you move up to Spidey and his amazing friends. And then we've got the, the into the Spider-Verse movies and then you get into the Marvel Universe proper. And by that time, you're a teenager. And it's like, where is the room for kids to just discover weird shit? That's a great question. I don't have kids. Right. I mean, I think that's where all of us uh, maybe have a deficiency <laughs> in this conversation. Wait a minute. And thank God. <laughs> I mean, um, honestly. I, I don't want to understand having crazy hormonal people in here looking at this fucking Chinese devil tree on the TikToks. I, I, I just, I really think. Chinese devil tree. <laughs> dude. Because, like, honestly, the thing, the thing that that's what uh, the oldsters are so worried about is that mm -hmm. something that's so dispensable indispensable to our children it comes from a foreign source that they they think we're having this big fight with uh newsflash you can't fight with china when they own you okay you can't fight with people who it's a little more nuanced you. than that I'm i know but, that, but, but, but yeah. okay watch tiktok never ever be regulated to any degree ever well, and, sure. I'll, I, and i'll ask why that is and you could tell me something that makes more sense than my rant but the bottom line is come on dude we, uh, we come on so like th and there isn't any money in stopping the marketing to our two kids via things like tiktok via the songs that you play over the little dances that you do or just all these different ways to inject new media be that be video or audio it's like a perfect delivery system for any niche that you want to be down with mm. Yeah, the only way it'll ever get stopped is if you prove without a doubt that they're making kids not capitalists. <laughs> then you will see that shit shut well, down in a fucking okay. middle okay. well, of Kami TikTok is a fucking thing for real. Oh, no. I'm not saying I'm not is. down with it either. Those chicks are pretty hot. But <laughs> Kami TikTok exists. Well, 100%. Let me take a let me take a a less favorable look at nerd subculture, which maybe is a good illustration of what you're just saying, Ron. If you think about it, nerds up until the modern era were the people who would rather consume than produce. And again, like I said, this is a, this is a harsh criticism and it's probably not 100% true, but generally like your nerd subcultures are the people who ate up the things that, other people were producing that weren't even call it quote unquote good enough to become mainstream. And I think one of the things that prevented quote unquote mainstream audiences from really getting on board with all the stuff that the nerds consumed is just because they had other shit going on that they were concerned about. And whether yeah. that was, you know, who was winning the football game or whether that was supporting their families or whatever the fuck, like life happened. But Certainly in an era of TikTok and Instagram, you've got an entire generation of people who are just raised to be mindless consumers. And it's almost like going back to the tech bro thing, not that they're smart, but the only people that are left that are like more concerned about making money than they are about consuming this media are weirdos. If you think about it, <laughs> like those yeah. are the weird kind of shunned people where it's like, I got to go get my grind on and fucking figure out how to hustle myself a thousand dollars when oh. the majority of other people are out here just fucking watching whatever's on the phone. You figured it out, Bill. The, I think the new est 
minted nerd culture is hustle culture. Hustle mm. culture poisons everything. I mean, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But like hustle culture, the Gary V, hey, you don't need to go to college. Just go to a lot of estate sales and pick up like an armoire that's like for like $100, flip it for $2.22. What the fuck? It's all these just ridiculous plans, you know, plots and plans, pots and pans. Yeah. All these ridiculous garbage ways to five-step programs of how to do this, that, or the other. That's the new nerd culture. I've, I I've, I think I slipped into that for a minute. I was getting a lot of Gary V, a lot of like, look, man, all you got to do, uh, if you if you got a hundred, would you take a hundred thousand dollars or a meeting with Jay Z? If you don't take the meeting with Jay Z, you're a fool because he could teach you. This just idiotic, almost like idolatry ass, yeah, capitalism bullshit, Svengali garbage. That is a new nerd subculture, and the Bitcoin guys are right in there because they're like, yo, I see value nobody sees evangelically. I see value nobody sees, yep. and I'm going to cash in on it like Daniel Plainview before anybody gets it. Well, that's – I mean, mean if, you th- if you think about their characteristics – sorry, Ron, just to real no, quick go ahead. jump on what Ed was saying. They have their own language that they speak, all these buzzwords and things that outsiders mm-hmm. are just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. They have this mythology that they keep really close track of, of like, this is how Gary Vee made his money, and this is how Mark Cuban mm-hmm. made his money. And this is, and then they have um, this sense of superiority where it's like the minute you're not down with what they're talking about, it's like, look at this fucking loser. I mean, that's what nerds were in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you don't know what issue of Spider-Man like uh, Mary Jane first appeared in? <laughs> Fucking loser. And it's like, meanwhile, the, the the mainstream culture thinks you're the loser, but like within mm-hmm. your subculture, you've insulated mm-hmm. yourself. I think there's tons of similarities between hustle culture and old school nerd culture. Hustle culture is a newly minted nerd culture. I think another one is probably those people who are just like awesome at lip syncing. I think in the future, we're going to go back to this time and be like, my man, motherfuckers was lip syncing before, but lip syncing was so uncommonly, it was so uncommon to be great at it that there was a group named Millie Vanilli that got like a Grammy while lip syncing the whole time and nobody deduced what the fuck was going on. (laughs) But then when they found out what it was, people willingly did it and it was known that they were lip syncing, but they still got popular because of their face motions while they did it. And now middle-aged housewives could be as funny as Bernie Mac as long as they line their fucking mouths up with the fucking bit, right? I mean, and and to just... To, to add on to that, it's also the era when uh, dancing is completely removed from emotion and originality and just becomes mm. like, if you can just repeat what somebody else has done, you're a mm-hmm. great fucking dancer. I mean, it's all that mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. And if you're white and you take all the sauce off of it, you might make a million dollars selling it to other white people. <laughs> Late night, they'd be like, hey, little white girl who did not make up any of these dances, sand it off all the hard parts and don't go hard. Mm-hmm. Watch her do this for 20 minutes. Meanwhile, there's a black girl popping her gum. Just, oh, my God. I I would rip this shit up right now. I would rip this up right now on Conan O'Brien or whatever. They're like 40 years in the future. People are going to be looking at old footage of raves and being like, they're all doing their own thing. Like, what the fuck is this? Why aren't this they dancing together? Yes, this isn't dancing. They're all doing their own thing. They're like expressing themselves or something. And that is not dancing. If there's one thing I know, that's what it is not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, my yeah. God, dude. I mean, look, I'm, uh, guys, I'm not going to say those things don't exist on TikTok. <laughs> um, however, maybe fix your fucking streams, okay? Because <laughs> um, I get improv 
improv dance ladies and guys who like are literally like making up shit on the fly and i get i get weird goth chicks singing about murdering men all right so our point you know, being ron that those are the nerds in this bleak new future those are the nerd <laughs> the people who are doing the original things are the nerds that's yeah. so interesting that yeah that that's so it. interesting yeah. let me say this uh what 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 occurred to me, uh, and I think this is the bad part of nerd culture, and it's one we've talked about before, uh, the rightness. Hmm. If you ever say you are 100% right about a thing, I don't trust you. Because you want to know who says they're 100% right or that they have all the answers? Guys like Trump. Mm-hmm. Guys like that dude you said, all you got to do is do these five things, and now you will be successful. You do anything else, you're looking at failure, buddy. I've got the answers for you. All you have to do is listen to me. I I can fix everything. Anybody who says that, do not fucking trust that person. They're not a good nerd. They're a bad person, and they will be our downfall. Anyways, so I just wanted to bring that out because when I heard you guys talking about these different subcultures, that's the thing that occurred to me so hardcore and the thing that I think I used to do, like when I was a kid, like uh, before I, my best friend was like, why don't you listen to this fun rap stuff? I was like, this is bullshit. That's not fucking music. They're not even playing instruments. What the fuck is happening? And I was wrong because everything is music and anything can be interesting. And you're allowed to dislike anything you don't want to like, you know, like. If you want to not like something, that's great. But to say something is not music or something is not art is ridiculous. Um, unless, of course, you talk about techno. And really, then you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you see, uh, well, techno is not for me. That's the words, by the way. This thing is not for me. But if you enjoy it, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Let, in fact, tell me what you enjoy about it. And then listen to that person. I just want to bring that stuff up because I I can see where I think you're right that this nerd culture thing can go a bad way. Uh, but okay, but but check this out. I, I okay, okay. I agree with you that the new way maybe isn't going to be that cuz gatekeeping is now super passé actually. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? The the fucking online if you're terminally online as I am, that's one of the lamest things you can do besides saying lame cuz that's ableist. If you're terminally online, you'll know that. Um, but yeah, one of the lamest things you can do is is be a gatekeeper and stop anybody from enjoying whatever. It's one of the lamest things you could do. But now these kids hate gatekeeping so much that they let all type of ridiculous bullshit in that sucks. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's the essence of TikTok, right? That's the essence of TikTok. It is. It's like, yeah. Anything you want to do can be entertainment. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that Ron was talking about, though, with like that uh, that whole idea of like, you know, everybody has their own tastes and anything can be, you know, a phenomenon to the right group of people that broaches the subject of what can make money. Right. And like what beyond just like what individual piece of art can make money, like what narrative what cultural narrative can make money? And it, I think it's no secret that like superheroes have really taken over pop culture at a time 
when two huge things coalesced, the sort of the revolution in animation and special effects and America going through post 9-11 and this idea that like the world is in a secret war, but it's not with nations, it's with these rogue elements and who can we trust and we got to show we're strong and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you put those two things together and the narrative of the superhero becomes something that's very valuable to sell and very very mm-hmm. easy to receive on the other end. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think it goes back to some of this Gary V stuff, because if you think about 20 years from now, there are going to be multimillionaires and billionaires who got their start listening to Rogan, Gary V, whoever the fuck else. Right. Who, yep. I didn't go to college because Joe Rogan told me not to go to college. I started my first business using Gary V as a blah, blah, blah. I read the four hour work week by so-and-so and and I took these lessons and like now those people are billionaires. That's a great narrative for media to, for larger media, corporate media to sell because it number one, it fits the American dream. You can bootstrap yourself to greatness. Number two, it gets people, um, it gets people invested in how to, how to put this. So the, the storylines that you become invested in are also things that those same corporate media can exploit, right? So like if you're lionizing a business figure, that means that that business is going to make money and anybody who's going to want to invest with that business leader is also going to make money off of you which is the same way, like, you know, you see so many hero initiatives and everyone's a hero now. And that's just like this ubiquitous branding. Well, it's because places like Marvel, Disney, you know, Warner Brothers, whatever, have their own products reinforced by the culture talking about heroes and superheroes and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's just a a way of sort of breaking down why I think like this hustle culture could really mature over the next 20 years and become something like on the plus side that motivates an entire new era of entrepreneurism outside of just, you know, the dot-com stuff that's been happening since the two thousands. But on the negative side, really goes a long way toward further propping up the American myth of individualism and bootstrapping and yada, yada, yada. But let me make this argument. It could also really inspire some people who like community. Uh, And here's my thought process on this. You know, um, I listened to a bunch of different uh, political podcasts and uh, one of them was this one called The Wilderness. And they went and talked to a bunch of uh, uh, Trump voters who had voted for Obama. Mm -hmm. Uh, They voted for Obama for two terms, then voted for Trump. Um, And they and then they also did just general like market research about why people are doing what they're doing, what they would like to see changed. And and obviously there's the normal kitchen table issues. There's, you know, your normal stuff. But one of the big, big, big things that people would like to see is an end to divisiveness. The big thing that people were always saying is we'd love to see people come together and actually solve problems. So now let me say, let me say there will be a few people in a niche 
who believe that they can be the person or the group of people that form communities to bring people together. And I'm not even talking about both sideism or blah, 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 but I'm talking about their creative, the creativity will be pushed by this want of people coming together. That's what a thing I think could happen uh, that will not be as cynical and as terrible as tech bros. No, I, I think you're wrong only in so much as like, it's, it's yeah. pretty much been proven at this point that when people say they want community and people working together, what they actually mean is I want everybody to agree with me so we can move on and address other things. Like that's, nobody that's really, possibly true. No, it is true. Like it, this, there've been studies. So when they this. say that, they say that because it feels better saying I want people to come together than saying I'm right. And I need people to listen to me. Right. Well, okay. But, but here, but this is another, that's thing. interesting. I'd, I'd like to inject this right at this entry point right here. <laughs> Is there a social justice nerd? Is there an alt right nerd? Where 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 do they come from? Mm. I, I number one, that's, I know that that's yes. what I just said is true. Oh, both of those. Yes, they're yes on the yes. yes, and that inflection point on issues like that is where they come to like battle out with their nerd facts. Like the fucking the alt right nerd has that FBI crime statistics ready to go. This many dark skin guys did this, and the, the SJW has their stats ready to go. States that have a bunch of guns, bunch of gun deaths, duh, you know. And then they got all the type of, and and it's just this battle of I don't even say alternative facts. Sometimes they're just battles of facts, the facts you choose that you have body. a biased opinion about. Yeah. Well, I think what's really interesting about that question is nerds have traditionally, and again, this is maybe harsh toward nerds, but largely nerds have embraced the things that they've embraced as a way to kind of opt out of those conversations. Yeah. yeah nerd I mean, that was I rebellion, think that, right? I, I, yeah. I get that, but I think that they think that, but it's like, Oh, I opt out of the political conversation. Oh, uh, Captain America punching Hitler. Yes, please. Like, I, I just <laughs> well, don't sure, think that's right, how it right. works. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I, I was watching, I was watching, uh, just, I, I hate, we talked about greatest sports movies, so this is Jermaine. I, I was I'm really disappointed in old old age Phil Jackson, the coach of uh, Michael Jordan. He said some things, and he's been proven to say some things that are really just fucking stupid. And he said that in the bubble, he stopped in the in the NBA bubble when the COVID was rampant. The basketball players played in a bubble, and they determined who the champion was, and it was the Los Angeles Lakers. And he said he he stopped watching in the bubble because they had slogans on the court. The slogan was Black Lives Matter. Now, look, mm-hmm. I don't care what the or I don't care that the organizational heads bought houses. What are they supposed to do? Not buy houses. Whatever they did with the money, they absconded with the money and didn't didn't solve racism for everybody. Whatever the black, whatever. As a statement of fact, that shouldn't perturb you on any level, especially when you made your entire living off the backs of pituitary case Negroes. Your whole fortune comes from tall Negroes doing stuff. And you can't acknowledge that their fucking lives matter on a court or it'll drive you away from the game. Suck a dick. That <laughs> sucks. There's no amount of championship rings that can overcome that. So no. go eat a dick and chop on the dick with the 11 championship rings on. But all that being said, that is an interesting aspect of like the nerddom of, of basketball, right? Ner- there are basketball nerds all over the place. Are they being fractured by the narrative, the people who are nerds about the narratives, nerds about who John Brand is sleeping with versus the nerds who know everybody's shooting percentage? I think that nerds come out of the woodwork with the internet. 
You know what I'm saying? I agree with that. I mean, I think going back though, like politics is an interesting element of this because to a certain extent, I'd make the argument that like radical activists have always been nerds in so much as they're a part of the culture that eats, sleeps and lives their ideology Mm -hmm. and the wider culture does its best to ignore them. Yes. So in a, in a very liberal definition of the word nerd, like they have always been nerds. I think though, that that kind of, leapfrogs what we're talking about here, which I'm not trying to get us to not talk about it, but I'm just trying yeah. to put it in context of like that leapfrogs the conversation about like, what's the pop culture that, you know, <laughs> the weird fringes are going to be into in the coming decade or two. Oh, the only reason I, I don't think it's going to be <laughs> alt-right versus social justice is because those things are so fucking mainstream, even if there are a ton of people that don't want them to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the subcultures they're in, because they'll be like trad wives for abortion. Yeah. They'll be like, you know, uh, black dudes who speak Japanese who are also hoteps. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. dude, all I'm, types of shit. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be people who don't like tech. Hmm. Uh, we got a fair amount of those when the pandemic hit. All those crunchy granola fuck faces spreading disease. I said it. A lot yeah. of those motherfuckers went crazy all the way back around. You what that 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 not the bell curve, but that horseshoe effect where you go all the way around yeah, to yeah, the yeah. opposite of your political ideology. Yeah, yeah, dude. That's you're there's right. going to be that. It's going to be people who decide that they don't want to be in social media because they don't want to feel like shit anymore. And they're just going to be like, no, I, I sit at home and read books and I go to my job and I don't pay attention to any of that shit. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Is this the and proper And that's going to be the new nerd. Okay, but is this the proper time for me to tell you guys that uh, I'm getting a flip phone? Is this <laughs> oh, the proper shit. time? I, Are you I really? Think, I think I'm going to do it, dude. I saw my buddy Ari Manis at the comedy store. He whipped it out of his pocket and it sang like Excalibur coming out of the <laughs> fucking lake. Ah! And he just looked to see if he got a text from anybody. And the text was hella blocky and weird and so hard to probably do on that phone. Yeah. So nobody had texted him. There was nothing there. And he didn't look at it. I watched him later. He didn't look at it again for 25, 35 minutes, which nobody does with a modern phone. And, he's, nope. and I asked him, uh, do you have Snake on it? He says, I have it, but I don't play it. And I was like, ooh, sexy. I'm I'm sorry, dude. I just want to interject that. I think I might fuck around and do it, bro. I mean, I'm I I gotta be honest with you. I'm I think that there might be a group of people that realize that being on this stuff has been somewhat bad for us. And yes, there are some great things that it has brought about. We can all argue that, and we've argued that before on this exact same show. But I do think there's a group of people who are just going to they're not going to be on TikTok. They're not going to be on anything. Mm. Maybe they'll watch the news from time to time, but it's going to be Reuters or the BBC or something like that. And then probably they're just going to get a newspaper rather than like it's going to be like they only have an email for work. And that's because email requires them to do it. You know, dude, work dude. Requi- you know what I mean? Like a that's going to happen. A when they go home, newspaper that they get. <laughs> yeah, 
When so, they go home, they are not going to answer emails from their bosses. That shit doesn't exist for them anymore. You know, like, and then what's going to happen is the creativity that comes from that is going to turn into movies where instead of a a a world of technoverse, it's going to be the 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 fantasy is going to be people who have no technology. It's just it's just movies about like outdoorsmen and lumberjacks yes. and people raising pigs and shit. Dude, the lumberjack renaissance movies Lo- of 2046. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh. <laughs> I think you might have did that, right? I, I mean, made I, that happen. You guys were talking about it. I was just thinking about like what's the one thing that's going to be the fringiest shit you could possibly do and that's not beyond anything. I was oh, also going to say, Ron, you've really brought this full circle and that book nerds will continue to be nerds. Yes! <laughs> those are the people that are doing what you're talking about. Yeah. Dude. Oh, and I could see it. I could see it going all the way around to like now there's communities of these just small villages, these these communities, right? And you know these people and you kind of just talk through a tin can on a string or whatever across your very close together homes and homesteads or whatever. And then – some bad dudes that used to be tech bros till it bottomed out. They come around town and they come start fucking with our community. And now all of a sudden you got Westerns again, totally modern movies, but they're <laughs> Westerns again because of how you guys have chosen to be so agrarian. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. It's interesting. It's an interesting possibility. <laughs> I mean, look, I think out, outside of the subject matter, I will say I would like to see media in general and culture in general, Embrace the promise of super niches in that it becomes less about like, let me get obsessed with the product and more about let me get obsessed with the creators. And I think if social media is doing anything good for us, and I don't think it's doing a lot, but it is recentering focus on the people who are doing the work. And a lot of it may be completely infantile garbage, and a lot of it is completely disposable. And I hope that we can crawl our way out of that. But like, again, looking at comics as an example, I think comics as an art form will continue. I think it would only be good if writers and artists were the real main draw as opposed to Thor and Spider-Man and whatever the fuck else. So I would apply that across the board, you know, in movies. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of it here and there. It's like a 24 just continues coming on strong slowly, but surely. And like all of those movies and now TV shows feel so much like remnants of the seventies and the early eighties, like before the blockbuster was sort of the day rigueur thing. And it was more about like, let's find young, weird, talented people who could do something strange on screen, you know? And it's like, those are when that becomes mainstream, that's when things get exciting. When that, when that attitude becomes mainstream. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, uh, I just got to say, I'm really happy with uh, what we're doing here, guys. (laughs) I feel like every time we have an episode, I'm like proud of you guys uh, being my friends and proud of the thoughts and ideas that we have, that we listen to each other, that we come up with cool ideas, that I even think we're we're some of those dudes. I think we can be those dudes, those dudes who bring you something interesting, get put you put different ideas into your brain and 
and inspire other people and inspire ourselves to to keep getting bigger and bigger. And I, I just know I just love how cool this 100th episode turned out to be. That was really fun. I do oh. want to point out. I, I, sorry, I, I just want to point out too that um, while this is the hundredth episode of the Greatest Pod, if you look at the fact that we also did 150 episodes of the previous show, Nerd Goat, mm-hmm. this is our 250th episode together, guys. Like that's we've, pretty we've, amazing. Wow. Plus plus Patreon content of which there is not an insignificant amount. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, there, there's years of Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. Uh, we right. are participating in this new economy, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. <laughs> we have so many different um, different things on there that encompass some of the ways that nerddom was being redefined as, you know, we perceived it in real time. So you can go back to our early recordings and just kind of track everything. Like we started before phase two two or three of marvel (laughs) so it's like we have so much stuff on there and i won't call it content god dang it i started slipping and calling it content i started slipping up these fucking zoomers then got me to to not consider our stuff art um i gotta tell you though i am a content creator now for raid shadow (laughs) legends i am now making raid shadow legends videos and if you guys like Raid Shadow Legends at all, uh, go follow my YouTube channel, Ron Swallow. And follow us on The Greatest Pod. I'm turning all of these into videos now, and they're coming out great, and I think they're really interesting. So get on there as well on our YouTube channel and follow us. Um, and you can email us, by the way. Uh, you can email us to leave us a message. If you, if you can't leave a review on Apple Pods or something like that, uh, go ahead and uh, email us uh, at uh, email the greatest pod at gmail.com. Also, I just want you to acknowledge the fact that you're just being weak by saying you can't leave us a review. You could log in there one time, make a fake identity, (laughs) and and give us a five-star review. You do not have to be part of their machine forever. You don't have to sell your soul to give us a freaking review, and that review would really help us in the algorithm. But I I want to go back to uh, the email. Think about what Joe Rogan would say if you (laughs) didn't get off your ass and leave a review for the greatest pot. I don't know. That's if there's I, one that's, thing you take away from this podcast, <laughs> let it be the grind set. You know what I mean? You need a grind set. <laughs> oh god. I, I haven't lifted enough weights to buy into that yet. It's coming though. I'm it's, listening to David Goggins on the way to the gym. Stop being a bitch. That, that, you know, uh, uh, but is that uh, worth the, for you? Uh honestly, look, I one thing the one thing that, that that culture has said that is absolutely true. Do and David Goggins said it. Anytime you say, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, and it's something really t- t- trivial, just record yourself saying that and then listen to it and realize what a little bitch you were being <laughs> because it'll stand in high relief inside your own mind. All your excuses are really cool, but when they're said out loud, they're pretty whack. Hustle culture, baby, they got me. It's, it's like the end of a horror movie. Like, I got, I showed this Gary, I showed this Gary V bite that I got at the gym. I was just trying to take a shower. These, these hustle guys came and they bit me. And now you I got just, some land in Bitcoin world. You just keep cutting to shots of me and Ron, and our faces become more and more horrified. Our eyes just like, oh, God, no. So don't be a bitch. Buy my app. It tells you how to buy Bitcoin. I'm also doing some video about how elk's blood helps you not be, you know, it's, 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 it's you don't have to go to school to learn how to code. Just read a book. You little bitch. (laughs) Um, we did get an email, uh, from, from, from a fan. We would love to read that on air. Go ahead. Uh, Bill. 
that we did, it it begins, good day, gentlemen, which is a very uh, high-class mm-hmm. greeting. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you. You never cease to impress. Every time you add a new style or format to your work, it is an improvement. I don't know how much work you all do, quote, behind the scenes to work these things out, but I can't think of an instance where you didn't show up with a polished, fully realized concept. The latest episode where Ed and Bill went through the career of Frank Whiteley was magic. Bill's enthusiasm for his work with just a hint of gushing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Really sold. (laughs) I was hoping I wasn't gushing too much. Really, (laughs) really sold the excitement of discussing it in this format. The discussion was brilliant and so much fun to watch slash listen to. I vote for many, many more of these. If I may presume to suggest an artist, I'd recommend considering Mike Mignola for the next Mm -hmm. one of these that you do. Mm, Solid, solid choice. Uh, Many think of his art as being very simplistic, but that's quite far from the reality. Oh, goddamn true. Um, Studying the layouts, page designs is a masterclass in storytelling by evoking an emotion or tone for the scene. Furthermore, the nature of the stark black and white shapes betray a cubist structure underneath that could easily become confusing black splotches by a lesser artist, as many have done. Anyway, I think this art style would make a very nice juxtaposition to the the style and discussion of Quitely's career. What a uh, fabulously erudite letter. Um, Seriously. Yeah. So so now he's got side notes to each of us individually. Side (laughs) Side note to Bill. I've really enjoyed the latest pieces you've been posting to Instagram, your, quote, speed work. Personally, I prefer it in some ways. It's got a lot of vibrancy and life to it. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to that graphic novel. Well, thank you. Side note to Ed. Your art is great. It doesn't need to be someone else's art. Just Ed's. Make that comic. <laughs> is that <laughs> referring to, to, to a caption well, you posted? No, I, like if this person has been listening to us for long enough for me to be like, uh, when uh, you did the last batch of Patreon stuff, which, by the way, I got a Batman print coming. I think uh, Bill will donate cool. something to the I cause, and we'll I've we'll ship the, that I've got out. A passable Spider Man that looks like a nine year old yeah. Drew. So those three, <laughs> those three will be the postcards you get for the for the uh, top tier of the Patreon. We'll send those via mail in the next couple of weeks. But basically, I had said the last time I saw some of your drawings, it kind of just froze me because I was like, oh. Mm. I'll never be as great as Bill, you know, and it was just, but you know, it's just like that sort of, again, that's some punk shit though. That's stupid. You know, if Mike Mignola looked at Mike Mignola looked at Frank Frazetta paintings Mm. and thought that his, and tried to make them in drawing form and made a style, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing farther in the world from Frank Frazetta than Mike Mignola. And he's a genius right on par with him. So I should just, this, Thank you so much, person. This is uh, what's yep. the person's name? Oh, we'll get to it. We'll, the we'll end. get there. So finally, side note to Ron. Missed you this week for the Frank Whiteley discussion. Hope karaoke was fun. I'm guessing you <laughs> played a Journey song? Question mark. <laughs> did someone did sing Journey? Did someone did sing Journey? Yes, 100. percent You can count on that for every karaoke that ever happens. That's I would assume so. So anyway, it it closes. Enough nonsense from me. Thank you all for the great entertainment. Always makes my week a bit better. From Matt Robinson. P.S. Did you get that P.O. box yet? Get on it. You need to do that. <laughs> Still Thank haven't you, gotten the P.O. box. Thank you, Matt out. Robinson. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Uh, yes, we're, we're, we're going to do that. I mean, I just, people just really want to send us razor bombs. I, I, think, I think this is fine. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong at all. <laughs> I don't need these hands, anyways. You've seen how I draw. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you'll be in charge of opening up all the packages. What if, what if I get, lose my hands and I start drawing with my feet and it turns out I needed to draw with my feet the entire time? Dude, I'll tell you what. There's going to be a what? whole – a whole drama behind the scenes of me being super jealous of you for being the like art star of us now with no hands. Oh my god, like, that would be so funny. I'll be like a phantom of the opera dropping sandbags in your fucking ass. Like, you know what about it? Here. Never understood perspective until I started drawing with my feet. <laughs> Dude, dude, this motherfucker be drawing like Kim Jong Ji with his feet. He's, he's drawing perfect cityscapes and cars and perspective and shit. Oh my god! Oh. Uh, but if you, if uh, thank you guys for being part of this hilarity. Thank you guys for being part of this joyous hundredth episode. And as always, we sign off with uh, this has been a centennial milestone hundreds episode of. The greatest pod. I think that might have been on, on the same time. That was pretty great. <laughs>